0: You are listening to the Ipsos Mori Elections podcast where we will be taking a data-driven look at the 2019 general election and possibly beyond. Each episode will feature a panel of distinguished guests looking back at the past week of the campaign and asking who's up, who's down, and what should we be looking out for in the next week. We will also be delving into the data, looking at some Ipsos Mori polling and asking our experts to explain what's behind the trends we see. Hopefully we'll have some fun along the way too. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Ipsos Mori Elections Podcast, and I'm your host, Kieran Pedley. Well, we're now in, I guess it's week three of the 2019 general election, and we're very much approaching the business end. Polls are coming thick and fast, and pundits and poll watchers uh, want to know what's going to happen next, and crucially who's going to emerge in government in a couple of weeks' time. And to pour over the numbers and some of what we've been seeing in the last week or so, I'm joined by John Byrne Murdoch, data journalist at the Financial Times, and Paula Surridge, a political sociologist writing about public opinion and elections. Uh, welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Um, John, I'll come to you first. I mean, the way we sort of do this podcast is we start by sort of looking back at the week that's just gone and trying to make sense of sense of it all. I mean, what have you noticed from the campaign in the past week?
1: Sure. So I guess for me, the obvious one is that we've now got the three manifestos. The the three big parties have all got their manifestos out, which lets us have a little look at essentially how each of them want this election to be fought. And, you know, not to give a misleading image of the data journalism that we do at the FT, but um, on this occasion, I'm just going to give you some word counts. Um, so we had a look, uh, this is myself and Alan Smith, um, the head of this team, just at, you know, the, what terms are coming up and what can that tell us? So Labour mentions inequality 31 times its manifesto, Lib Dems that was 11 times and the Tories twice. So I think an early, early sign of, you know, Labour wants this to be about economics and about, you know, the traditional economic left-right. If you then look at Brexit, Labour mentions Brexit or Europe 28 times, Lib Dems 78, and the Tories 78 as well. So you essentially see two parties who want this to be about Brexit and one that wants it to be about the the economy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense when we think about the the troubles Labour have had, uh, at least at face value, in trying to explain uh, their Brexit policy. Um, Paula, what about you? What have you noticed from the last week of the campaign?
2: So from the last week of the campaign, the same thing about the focus on economics, although not necessarily from a close analysis of the manifestos, but just from the kind of general coverage and the, and the things you see people talking about. Um, and that's been, I think, so far quite a good quite a good thing for Labour, that, that the focus has stayed on um, economics where generally they're stronger and also where they tend to be um, more united, both as a party and as a set of voters.
0: Is it quite hard for the Tories to keep this on Brexit? I mean, our numbers show Um, voters do acknowledge Brexit as the number one issue, at least uh, on on our telephone political monitor, Um, although there are other issues as well. But ultimately, we we kind of know what the policies are, don't we, for each of the main parties, so it's quite hard for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives to keep the conversation on that, surely.
2: It's proving difficult for them to keep the conversation on it, and also they don't seem to want to keep it on in any great detail. So they want the conversation Hmm. to be about Brexit in kind of big, bold terms, but they don't want to sit and have to talk about the exact ins and outs of the deal in any in any detail, and I think with the Brexit Party stepping down, um, that's really helped to kind of um, deaden that debate a little bit as well because they have they're they're not being challenged on it from that side anymore in the way that they were right at the start of the campaign.
0: I mean, is there anything that's happened in this campaign? Sorry, in, in this last week that we think is actually going to cut through, John? I mean, it's easy for political watchers and politicals like myself and others. I won't I won't ascribe that to you guys. Um, to sort of think everything's important and to follow it all on Twitter very, very carefully and very closely. But most people don't, do they? So, I mean, is there anything from the last week or even this campaign that you think really has mattered to the voters?
1: Again, I think the, the easy but probably honest answer is not really. Um, I think, you know, the Tories strategy almost has been to keep things pretty quiet, um, you know, in certain cases, keeping certain people uh, pretty quiet um you know they like like paula was just saying they want brexit to be out there but not in any any kind of detail um yeah their manifesto came out and it was there was a pretty muted response and i think that's probably what they were aiming for you know the debate um the debate the debate could have changed things in the sense that it's the first time people actually see these people together i think for that same reason the um the one this thursday on sky where joe swinton's going to be on the stage as well that could be interesting and that could be a chance for the tories to to get that brexit divide you know at least differentiating themselves from from the from the opposite side back into back into the discourse um but yeah i think most people who've been looking at this would agree it's been fairly mundane so far
0: it's funny you mentioned Joe Swinson actually um we have our weekly campaign tracker ipsos Morris says is different to our political monitor, which people will know where we uh, do voting intention on the phone and the leader satisfaction ratings are things that we've tracked for many decades this is a new thing that we've done just for this campaign where every weekend we track online things like what are the issues you're voting on how favorable do you feel towards the party leaders and their parties um, who's having a good or bad campaign regardless of how you'd vote and uh, who do you think is going to win And there's a couple of this, uh, we're recording this um, on on Tuesday afternoon, but um, these numbers are coming out Wednesday morning. So for those listening, we probably have already seen these. Um, But over the weekend, there were some really interesting numbers for the Lib Dems and particularly Joe Swinson that weren't particularly good. So on favourability, at the beginning of the campaign, so the weekend of the 8th to 11th of November, we had 24% favorable 44% unfavorable towards Joe Swinson whereas now this weekend the numbers were 19% favorable so that's down five on two weeks ago and 50% unfavorable which is uh, up six points on two weeks ago and up nine points uh, from last week so lots of numbers there but fundamentally 50% unfavorable towards Joe Swinson which is uh, sort of not great numbers considering uh, some of the bad press that Lib Dems has been having and then when we add to that who is having a good campaign so we ask, regardless which, of which party you support, do you think each of the following are having a good or bad campaign since the election was announced at the end of uh, October? And uh, in, at the beginning of November, the Lib Dems had 23% saying they were having a good campaign, 32% saying they were having a bad campaign. Lots of people don't know or neutral, whereas now the number is 19% good campaign, which is down four, 39% bad campaign, which is up seven. So a few numbers being thrown at the listener there. Uh, I'll come to you on this one, Paula. Um, but certainly there is evidence that, um, um, although correlation is not a causation, that that question time debate and sort of some of the negative press that Lib Dems have been having seems to be cutting through. I suppose what we don't know is how permanent that is and, and, and whether it will matter in voting intention terms. But what do you make of some of that?
2: So I think we need to put some of that into some context. So it is going it is going downwards. It doesn't look as if the Lib Dems are getting the kind of oxygen from the campaign they might have liked. But we wouldn't expect Joe Simpson to be doing well except amongst Remain voters. So... Actually, 50% unfavourable might be all the Leave voters, and it's a percentage amongst the Remain voters that we would be more interested in. Mm. And if actually the Lib Dems can get half the Remain voters on side, then I think they'd be quite happy with that as a kind of national vote share. So I think we need to put more than the other leaders, we need to put her figures into that context because they're aiming very much at one side of the debate in a way that neither of the other parties are. They do
0: seem to be being squeezed a bit, don't they? In terms of, I mean, depends on who you look at, depending uh, in terms of what their actual headline figure is, but the, the trend seems to be downwards, doesn't it?
2: It does seem to be downwards, um, looking primarily as though people that weren't really sure before have, have ended up in a negative position rather than a positive position. Um, but again, I just want to, to, to make that point that the Lib Dem vote share is changing. Um, it's becoming more concentrated. So voters that they might have won over in 2010 as a kind of neither of the above option, they might not win over now. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that, everything about their vote is more concentrated, which it might, in the end, work out more favourably for them um, on polling day.
0: I should I should add some numbers uh, to what I've just discussed here. Um, on the Labour Party having a good campaign, 21% said they're having a good campaign at the beginning of November. 28% say they're having a good campaign now. And there's a similar... Uh, in, in, in the same way they've had an increase in the percentage that say they're having a good campaign, there's been a similar decrease in the percentage that say they're having a bad campaign. So I so suppose some evidence below the the headline numbers we're seeing of Labour are sort of gradually increasing, but whether it's enough, uh, I don't know. But what do you make of the Lib Dems, John, and their campaign?
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, really great points there from Paula. And I think a couple of things I'd add there is one One of them is that I think most people who look at this with any degree of closeness will know the Lib Dems are a very geographically concentrated party in terms of where they're going to do well. You know, They always have been. And even if they spread out a bit this year, it will still be within a certain type of seat. So if, you know, Swinson, and the Lib Dems as a whole are trending slightly downwards in these approval ratings or the polls themselves. That could just be that the parts of the country where the Lib Dems aren't really visible, aren't really doing anything, you know, traditionally perform very, very poorly. It could be that maybe there were some voters there who had a bit of a Lib Dem excitement, as it were, and have then quieted back down. But in the areas where they are trying to gain seats or trying to have an impact um, at a local level, they could well still be, you know, just exactly where they were a few weeks ago. And I was actually speaking to one of their strategists um, just before coming on here, and he was making that point essentially that, you know, not in a defensive way, but just saying, look, they were always, ex- they would always expect things to go this way because they concentrate their resources. Mm-hmm. And so, again, sure, Swinson may be trending down, the Lib Dems may be trending down, but in terms of their electoral outcomes, they could well be in the same place they were a month ago.
0: So let's delve into the data a little bit more because it's kind of what we do here. I mean, one of the key, we we opened up uh, questions to social media and one of the key things people want to know is, uh, are the polls tightening? I mean, is Labour going to have that comeback that it had in 2017?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, the question on everyone's lips. And I think, you know, there are two answers to this. One is that, um, you know, why should we always be looking back back two years the elections are different but um if you know people are going to ask we should have a look so there are a few things we can say on this in terms of that top line question of whether the polls are tightening there are obviously a few ways of looking at this one uh, which i did was just to look at pollsters who've actually had multiple polls out in the last 10 days so in this sort of the last week or so are they tightening and the answer essentially is no. They're they're pretty much flatlining. So youGov have had three polls out in that time period. One showed a slight widening of the gap. One that came back together. To, so it's they're back where they were. Uh, Comres the gap narrowed by one point, and ICM by two. But you know all of those things are well within the margin of error, especially when we're talking about a gap which incorporates the margins of error for each of those two parties. If you throw it back a little bit further, we're still not looking at 2017. So um let me see so we've got about about 10 pollsters who've had multiple polls out since the campaign began one of them icm the gap between labor and the conservatives is exactly the same now as it was um in october three pollsters have got um the gap slightly decreasing and six have actually got the gap widening so I, i just don't really see any evidence for the idea that things are getting closer together if you were to look back at 2017 it was much more unambiguous. So you had uh, seven pollsters all showing the gap narrowing over the course of the campaign, and only two showing it increasing very slightly. So 2017, at the same point in the campaign, it was absolutely clear that the gap between the two was narrowing quite sharply right now or over the last few weeks. You know, it's a flat line at best.
2: Yeah, I I think that's the same sort of sense I've been getting from it as well. In fact, when I was reading some of this stuff yesterday, I thought, actually, if you look at the trends, they look more like the 2015 trends where I'd kind of look at the polls every night before I went to bed. And nothing had changed. <laughs> um, and, and it seems to be that that, that that seems to be very much a similar sort of story at the moment. Um, one thing I'd add to that, though, in terms of the tightening of the polls and how that might move. Um, one thing I looked at in 2017 was that obviously the UKIP vote collapsed, but it collapsed at different rates. So the UKIP voters that had come from the Conservatives originally collapsed back into the Conservative vote very, very quickly, like a kind of job done, um, job done move. Whereas the UKIP voters that had come from Labour, a lot of them didn't collapse back into Labour until quite late in the campaign and were part of that part of that closing. Now my sense, and this is this is sort of from older data, because I don't have any really up-to-date data, but my sense is that the movement is more likely to be the other way this time, that actually it's unlikely that that Brexit vote is going to collapse into Labour and actually that the Labour leave vote, what's left of it, is likely to move towards the Brexit party. So actually we might not see quite the same trends that we saw in 2017. So it's
0: less a case of actually the undecideds helping Labour out at the last minute, but more it could go the other way.
2: Yeah, not so much the undecideds but even um some of those some of those undecideds but also some of those people that might still be sitting sitting under labor at the moment um eventually peeling off and and moving towards the Brexit party in obviously places where they're still standing and in certain types of constituencies where there are still some um labor leave voters that could move.
0: So this sounds all very uh, positive if you're Boris Johnson and perhaps uh time to panic a bit for labor then, does it?
1: I mean, again, it's, it's actually it's quite difficult to argue with what Paula has just been saying there. I mean, one, there's been a few interesting data points out in the last few weeks looking at how different um, sort of party plus Brexit um, splits view, view the situation at the moment. And Labour leavers clearly are the most cross pressured group in there. Um, Paula, I know you've looked at how Tory Remainers and are very different to other Remainers. You know, they, they're much more um solidly conservative for example than yeah. labor leavers but you know if you look at the the question of whether people would rather have Johnson or Corbyn in power labor leavers actually lean Johnson on that and similarly um you know if you ask whether they'd have rather have a tory government with Johnson as pm or a labor government with Corbyn again labor leavers lead what to, lean towards Johnson and I th- this is again something that's come up a few times when I've been speaking to people involved in um trying to forecast the election or or people who have been doing canvassing for the parties and it's that with Labour Leavers, it's not necessarily just about this idea that they, say, say get Brexit done. It's just that they're particularly anti-Corbyn. It's, you know, we're talking about this um, quite working-class group. Um, so where does that come from, then, the anti-Corbyn
0: mm-hmm. thing? I mean, we we understand. I mean, we, we, we well know at Ipsos Morrow that uh, Jeremy Corbyn's uh, poll ratings are dreadful, and we've talked about that a lot, that um, his leader satisfaction ratings have been the worst we've seen on record. And so plenty of data there. But what is it that... If it's not just about Brexit, what is it that p- turns Labour leavers off Corbyn, do you think?
1: Well, so my my reading of, of the polls on this, but also some of the focus groups that, that some people have been doing, is that a lot of it just is that simple heuristic of, you know, personality. Do th- they look at someone and they think, you know, would I get on with this person? And, you know, we can all talk about how that's, it's, it's frustrating that that's how people make decisions when there's things like Brexit and and key economic policy at stake. Um, but that, that seems to be what's going on. There are people who, uh, you know, we just had some reporters out in, in some some of the most economically unequal parts of the country and what we were expecting to find there was um, that you would have people really talking about economics and living standards and that kind of thing. But in fact, you've got um, some of the most working class people in, in the, uh, sorry, some of the most um, deprived people, very different things, um, in the country and then relatively well-off people and they're just sort of bonding over these shared values of things like um you know just going to the pub having a pint having a drink and it's 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 these more you know flimsy but but more immediate um sort of personal issues i think that seems to be having some of that johnson versus corbyn impact
2: i think also um the, the, the other set of values that, that those voters hold that lead them to brexit in the first place to want brexit in the first place um, also don 't sit very well with the things they perceive Corbyn as standing for so um, things around um, things around the nuclear deterrent for example don 't don 't play very well in those kinds of areas things around um, attitudes to um, crime they also obviously saw in um, 2017, lots of stuff around students and Glastonbury and fees and things like that. But they're not they don't feel as if they're talking to those communities. And I don't think that helps because people feel connected to leaders, partly because they think those leaders share their values.
1: Yeah, I think just to quickly add something to that. So uh, another thing I know Paula and I have both looked at is this idea of you've got the two axes, economic left, right. And then a sort of cultural, culturally more conservative or more liberal and what all the evidence shows is that you've essentially the labor, le- a lot of these labor levers are in the um, economic left, but culturally conservative sector. And, you know, Brexit has really increased the salience of that cultural axis. And so, sure, they may agree with labor's economic policies, but, you know, that's more of a, um, you know, that, that's more of a sterile way of thinking about things, whereas instinctively on the cultural issues, yeah, they, they hear, you know, there was that grown reaction to, um, corbyn talking about the environment in the debate and i'm yeah. sure these people it's not that they don't care about the environment but it's not a pressing issue for them and that acts as a signal that um he's appealing to the you know the metropolitan liberals mm. and that's not them so yeah culture i think is what's holding them away from corbyn
0: so as we as we've we got two and a bit weeks left now of the election campaign and obviously there's going to be lots of data that comes out lots of polling and that sort of thing so what are the numbers that we're looking at? Are there any particular numbers or trends that we're we're watching out for in the coming two weeks? Obviously, voting intention. But I mean, if, if you were advising someone that's maybe a casual observer of the polls, what they should pay attention to? I mean, is there anything in particular?
2: I'm not sure about the casual observer, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but if if I'm talking to a slightly less casual observer, <laughs> one who at least knows how to find the crosstabs, um, then the thi- the things I'm looking at are. The undecided voters, I'm always banging on about the don't knows, Um, but looking at where they sit relative to where they voted in in 2017, are there still lots of undecided ex Labour voters around? Where the pollsters give them, I'm looking at that in terms of cross breaks with party and um, Brexit position, because we've got these two groups that are critical to the election. We've got the Conservative Remainers, who for the time being, seem to be staying conservative but if they start to look to move to the lib Dems in bigger numbers than they have been that that puts a lot of seats within lib Dem grasp a lot of conservative seats within lib Dem grasp and then the labour leavers that we've just just mm-hmm. been talking about as well those two groups when i in, when i've looked at polls which which disaggregates in that way were the two most undecided groups um around a fifth of each still wavering as to which way they might go so the potential to move it is still there and then, I guess, with, with lots of caution and, and, and all sorts of big flashing caution lights around it, um, looking at the age breaks as well and seeing if there's any shifts happening. We'll come um, back to that in on there. some of
0: our uh, listener questions in a moment. But just briefly on the Conservative Remainers, because to me, that feels like a group that's not well understood. OK, they're Conservative voters, they voted Remain. But do we know anything else about this group or where they are, what their values are, these sorts of things? I mean, um, are they likely to go en masse to the Liberal Democrats? I guess it's really the premise of my question.
2: I think they could go on mass to the Liberal Democrats. Lots of them, um, or a significant proportion of them, will have voted Lib Dem in 2010. Um, at the moment, the thing that is most holding them in check is the, is, is the same as what's holding the Labour leavers away. It is their utter dislike of Corbyn and the not just Corbyn as a person for them, but also the really radical left-wing um, economics that he represents to them, because they are the group out of everybody that are the most right wing in terms of economics even more so than conserv- than conservative leavers um, so that's really what's holding them in check at the moment they don't like boris johnson they could well they could well be detached from the conservative party on those cultural issues that we were just talking about. Um, but they are, they are a really long way away from every other group of voters on economics.
0: So John, what should we be looking out for in the next couple of weeks then, uh, in terms of uh, the data?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I'm look, looking at a lot of the similar, similar things to Paula there. And just one thing I'd add to that point about con- Conservative Remainers. So a colleague of mine at the FT, Miranda Green, has, has a really insightful point on that and how, you know, one might expect that if you've got a group of voters who are maybe anti-Johnson or at least anti-Brexit and they're anti-Corbyn, then you'd have thought, oh, well, obviously, you know, they'll plump for the Lib Dems, Lib Dems will surge among that group. But what Miranda was explaining, and, you know, she's had experience with the Lib Lib Dems in the past, um, as well as just being very smart on all things politics, is that what often happens in these situations is the Lib Dems in this situation, uh, or, you know, potential Lib Dems, shall we say, in this situation, um, they think, well, if um, if I vote Lib Dem, then I'm essentially... Facilitating a potentially facilitating a Corbyn government, or at least make it easier for him to get in, and as you say, they're so averse to that that they they'd feel safer sticking with the Conservatives than going Lib Dem. Um, but a couple of things I have been looking at, so and and in terms of things to watch over the coming weeks. So yeah, I I'm also seeing that the most of the undecided voters, so high, highest percentage among Labour leavers than anyone else. But as you've been saying, Paula, I think the question is where are they now going to break back to? And if we look at th- how things look among Labour leavers right now versus how they did two years ago, as you've said earlier, a lot more of them are breaking actually directly to the Conservatives than was in the case in 2017, um, and few of them are sticking with Labour. So if we go with the very, very rough approximation that usually the don't knows will break roughly in line with the decided, then again, If they continue to break like that it's not they're not coming back to labor in big enough numbers um Mm -hmm. so yeah those those subgroups are going to be a big one to watch um another thing i think is and again i'm I'm not one of these people in the media who thinks all, all the media stuff like the debates are going to have huge impacts but we have obviously got another couple of these coming up again we've got swinton will be on stage on thursday see if that could change things in either direction i guess for the lib dems um and then johnson against corbyn again um on december the 6th and so you know, I just think the Conservatives um, are essentially, I think are a bit more exposed, more vulnerable in these public sort of level playing field situations. So there are a couple of things here which could perhaps um, tip things away from them. But as I say, the key the key for all of the poll watchers, I think is gonna be seeing how these cross pressured groups break.
0: So um, some great stuff there from um, both of you. Um, a couple of questions uh, from listeners, which I wanna to put to you. So, Paul Kearney uh, tweets us about uh, polling that shows um, labour improving among the 55 to 64 uh, age group. And uh, Paula, he sort of mentions the uh, wasp, uh, waspy woman uh, effect question mark. I mean, this, so this is something to do with um, changes to pension, uh, the state age of pensions among a certain cohort of women, I think. Um, so do you want to explain a bit about what that is and, and maybe how, how, how impactful you think it could be?
2: Yeah, so I don't want to explain it in any great detail, but the, the, the <laughs> but but the basic idea is that um the pension age was always going to be equalized, but after twenty ten um, legislation was brought in that that brought that forward more quickly so there's a a cohort of women or an age group of women actually um for whom they didn't get their state pension when they expected to at 60 and feel that they then had to had to make arrangements were either carry on working or find other arrangements to to cover that gap to to the retirement age and labor have pledged to pay back um i think i think the figure i saw was a hundred pounds for every week of state pension that was lost but um,
0: so potentially, but it's, a but considerable potentially amount of money. for
2: some of these women, a very large sum of money, I think the maximum goes up to something like 30,000. But figures, figures between 10 and 20,000 won't be um, uncommon.
0: Because when you see single issue um, topics like this, obviously mean a lot to the people involved. But um, it's easy to uh, scoff at and assume that oh, that won't make a big difference on the actual election result. But is this something that
2: could? I think it could. Now, Corbyn and Labour have an absolute mountain to climb in that age group. I I, I was looking at the um, the Ipsos figures from your latest political monitor there, and, and that was 51 Conservative, 23 Labour in terms of vote intention amongst that age group. So it's it's a big mountain to climb. Um but I also had a look, um, the Waspby Women's campaign website has a, a link to the number of waspi women by constituency. So anybody wants to do some analysis, there's a, a tip for some data to look <laughs> at. Um, and I did a very, very quick, almost visual kind of sort and match between majorities and um, how many Waspby women were in constituencies. In Scotland and Wales, it's lots of constituencies it affects because the four party system means majorities are smaller. In England, I counted 120 constituencies where the number of waspi women was higher than the majority in 2017. And of those, 69-ish were not Labour seats currently. So that's potentially 69 seats up for grabs. And that's only just doing some really, really rough and ready calculations. There's definitely some, some more detailed analysis to be done of that.
0: And then another question we've got here is from Ben Bowman, um, talking about voter registration. So this is something uh, John has been doing the rounds on on Twitter and other social media, and indeed the broadcast media as well. So uh, he refers to uh, three million people having applied to register to vote uh, since the campaign started, up a third from 2017. Uh, Two million aged under 35. I'll take those figures as gospel. Uh, ben, uh, haven't set the la- latest ones out. I mean, these things can change, of course. And with, I think. Still, I think today might be the deadline for registering to vote. So, it'll we'll, we'll be interesting to see what the final figures are. But it feels like this something. This is something that comes out each election. Um People get very excited about voter registration figures, potentially, understandably. I mean, if there were dramatic shifts in the electorate, yeah, yeah. that that could be important. But I mean, how much weight do you put on these numbers when you're looking at the, the data generally?
1: Sure. I, I think there's a, there's a few things to say here. Now, one is I think probably the most important one is that. I think there's some conflation here in terms of people's understanding of these numbers because this doesn't necessarily mean these are people who were not previously registered to vote at all a lot of these um they don't publish the exact breakdown are people registering at a new address and of course one of the reasons you therefore get two-thirds of them being under 35s is people are much more likely to move address when they're younger a lot of these will be people um, students registering to vote in a different constituency to the one they live at in term time, for example, or vice versa, depending on term dates, um, or you know, people who are like like a lot of young adults moving moving house. Um, or you know, at least since the last election, although we do seem to have elections every week at the moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so f- the first thing is we shouldn't think about these as new voters. I know I saw someone saying oh, that equates to X number of thousand people per constituency, but that's not at all how this works these aren't new people newly come into the electorate and the second of course is um there's that there, you know i think justifiably people get excited about young people being more politically engaged but the debates about the um supposed youth quake in 2017 are still ongoing and you know, numerous peer-reviewed papers have come out on either side of that so i think there is a temptation to say Oh, the key thing in 2017 was young people, and we're now going to see the same thing again. But I would just say it's not that there's no evidence for that being uh, being ongoing at the moment. But I think, um, well, you know, the evidence is equivocal. We we don't we don't know we don't know if these are all new voters, and we don't know if it was what happened last time. After all,
2: sure. If I can just add to that, one of the things that hasn't been picked up. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, very much about the 2017 turnout is actually what we saw was um, differential turnout according to people's values, which is something we hadn't seen previously in elections. Um, and actually, we found those cross pressured voters that we've been talking about those Labour leavers for want of a, you know, as, as a kind of easy label, were less likely to turn out, whereas those who were the more liberal left were more likely to turn out. Um, and I think that we might be seeing that kind of on steroids, if you like, in this election, that we might see lots of those areas um, with quite depressed turnout, but areas like London, um, Bristol, those kinds of places, those kind of um, cities with high proportions of well-educated people, not necessarily particularly students, actually seeing increased turnout. So that's something else to watch for. That Obviously, the, the polling in the run-up to election day is very, very bad at capturing.
0: So, final word from both of you i guess is, is there any we talked a bit about what to watch in the data and the sort of coming weeks and stuff but I mean, is there anything in particular that you guys are watching um it could be data related it could just be you know in the news or related to the campaign in the next uh in the next sort of week so uh john maybe i'll start with you
1: i think again just you know um it'll be interesting to see if uh, you know as we said the conservatives kind of want the next two weeks to be pretty quiet so for me, the interesting thing is seeing if anything happens that, you know, goes against that wish. If anyone says something silly, if there's an external factor, you know, we've had the floods, um, anything like that, which could, you know, disrupt, um, disrupt them. Uh, people keep talking about the N- an NHS winter crisis. Um, although the one thing I'd say on that is that the Tories and Labour are now pretty much neck and neck in terms of how people view their, their stance on the NHS. So. Yeah, I think any external factors like that and then like we've been saying, just seeing how these remaining undecided voters break or if they simply don't turn out at all. Paul, a final word to you.
2: Yeah, the same thing, looking very much at those undecided voters and, and wondering and watching for what big event, if anything, is going to kind of light this campaign up because at the moment it doesn't seem to have had anything very much happening. I suppose the, the Trump visit that we mentioned, you know, just just over a week before the election could actually be a, a kind of um lightning rod for certain types of voters to maybe engage them more with the campaign. It's
0: gonna be fascinating the past couple of weeks. I said on a different podcast where I was a guest um that you know, our data shows sixty four percent think this election is very important. Um but then just because the party so just because the parties feel like they've run out of things to say almost doesn't necessarily mean that the voters think it's uh, unimportant or won't show up. Um but thank you um Paula Surridge and John Byrne Murdoch, thank you very much for your time. Thank Good. you. You've been listening to the Ipsos Mori elections podcast with me, Kieran Pedley If you like what you hear, why not subscribe on iTunes or one of the other podcast apps that you might use, or tell a friend about us on social media or elsewhere. And keep an eye out for more Ipsos Mori elections podcasts in the coming days and weeks.